well 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 episode 26 of the bad buddhism podcast with your host anthony boyd the obsolete the obsolete we're gonna have a lot of fun with this podcast here a lot of fun with this podcast um it's gonna probably be it's probably gonna be a long one i'm gonna be honest it's probably gonna be a long one because we're journeying through uh we're taking a journey into some some heavy stuff like some 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 theology some some philosophy and some uh inquiries surrounding the word truth so back in 2011 when i was still an undergrad studying um my uh, studying for my psychology degree and it was a minor in uh, english i was working on as well and in order to get this minor i had to take a few english classes um i took a creative writing class i took a prose writing workshop and i also took a critical thinking class a critical reading and writing class i think it was called critical thinking reading and writing or something like that such a long time ago i'm getting old but i remember the professor asking us what some type of um i guess what some excerpt by i guess t.s Eliot or virginia wolf and all these other people that we were studying that i didn't really too care for and um she asked what this passage meant to us or something like that asked us for our interpretation and i mentioned um i guess i mentioned it was something to the effect of arriving at truth and she made it abundantly clear to me that there is no truth right like she tried to make it seem like it was a some sort of a suggestion you know she used upward inflexives like um yeah i think that we can argue that there might not be any truth but the way that she said it was more so um an effort to make it you know abundantly clear to me that at least she didn't think that there was um any kind of, of of truth objective truth and even though i was studying eastern mysticism at the time um i was searching for truth because i was going through a very rough time in my life and i wanted to be able to fall back on some sort of objective truth you know everybody wants that everybody wants to be able to to fall back on some sort of objective truth or some sort of philosophy or worldview that brings balance to their psyche and we're going to talk about freedom and psychosis in in another another episode which is another topic that really fascinates me when um people go uh searching for truth like my friend aj he always talks about freedom freedom this freedom that but how much freedom can we can we tolerate before we go crazy right and my reasoning for that is going to come up in the next episode if i remember i'm not going to write down any notes i think i have it in my notes already but i was studying eastern mysticism and in eastern mysticism at least my point of view on it is that there isn't necessarily any any truth it's like this what how i sort of interpret eastern mysticism is sort of this nebulous atheistic view on the world right or the universe right but i explained to you in the last episode that 
despite my intellectual um, journey, I still ended up resting on the belief in a creator, a creator that has established morality, origin, meaning, um, um, uh, destiny, all of these things that tie together a powerful or a, uh, I guess, a, a, a strong worldview, right? And in this podcast, we're going to talk about people described as postmodernists, or it could just be people in, in general. I mean, I think at this point when people use uh, talk about the worldview of postmodernists, it's just at the point now where I think everybody views or not everybody, obviously, but the majority of people view or hold this worldview that is similar to postmodernism because postmodernism is very hard very hard to pinpoint it's very hard to articulate but postmodernism is based in ideologies and and aesthetics and and philosophy and things of those natures like a mashup of it but i'm going to explain or at least attempt to explain or attempt to kind of like go over what i learned about the irony of postmodernism and it's quite funny so why do i care about postmodernism so i explained in the last episode that i'm going through a philosophical overhaul or a philosophical journey that I want to step up to the next level, right? I want to go into a series of subjects. I want to study a series of subjects of, of, of theology and, and um, philosophy and uh, anthropology and, and um, um, epistemology, metaphysics, ethics, you know, these types of, of, of studies. But what you're going to find, and this is for people who want to reach an objective and wield an objective worldview. But in this day and age, there's, there's a few things that's standing between us and objective an objective worldview. And it is the postmodern skeptics and the postmodern critics. And it's a very... um. It can get very hostile. It can get very dangerous sometimes because um, mm, it's a very, um, it's a very, I don't know how else to, to kind of like put it because again, postmodernism is very hard to, to pin down. But your quest to a solid worldview is definitely obstructed by postmodern, postmodernist, postmodernist worldview. Ugh, tongue tied. So, I got some notes for this podcast, so hopefully I don't run it too long. I think we're going to, oh, this is, this is type long. I'm scrolling in my notes, and it's going to be kind of long. So just uh, sit back. You should just get some popcorn or some snacks or something like that. Hopefully, you're listening to this when you're about to go to sleep because that's when your brain is the most, uh, most receptive to these type of things. Not that I'm trying to persuade you because if you're listening to this podcast, you value truth and insight. So it's not like I need to persuade you or convince you of anything. You're on this ride, this journey through intellectual development with me. So here we go. Right. I have it in my notes in my notes. Why do I care about addressing postmodernism and why should you care too? Right. So two main reasons I care about addressing the postmodernist worldview. One, they make a dangerous claim that words have no meaning. 
And two, they claim that there is no objective truth. That part right there is what kind of like really bothered me back in 2011 and up until now. And the search for truth is what pretty much pretty much drove me to where I am now, where I I've been reading the Bible a lot lately, not because it's not necessarily because it's the apocalypse or it's the end of the world, which probably has a lot to do with it subconsciously. But the the Bible, it, 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 I've always, no matter what I've studied, no matter what I was studying, I would always go back to the Bible and read through it, as I explained in the last episode, whether it's when I was going through more of my uh, agnostic uh, 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 phase, I'd be more an ecclesiastical type of guy, read the book of Ecclesiastes and the book of Proverbs when I need a little bit more uh, self-help, objective self-help. But there's this there's phases of my life when I will just, you know, just pick and pick and choose parts of the Bible like a lot of people do. And now that I'm older and I guess more philosophically inclined and the Internet is uh, much more matured in regards to social media. And I was able to come across people like Ravi Zacharias, by which who I'm going to be using his book um, Beyond Opinion with Beyond Opinion, which is basically a. Uh, a book on Christian apologetics, right? And though I don't necessarily dub myself as a Christian or consider myself a Christian, but more so a follower of the Messiah, Yahushua, Jesus Christ, if you will, or the the uh, the Bible as a whole, right? I still I still like his his philosophy, his 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 theology, his his positioning on worldviews. It's I find it very attractive because. It's very objective and, and and it's and it's based in um very it's based in very solid arguments right and I think this is a good book in helping anybody to defend their faith with philosophy with logic before you even start digging into the Bible because I've never necessarily been the, the evangelical type when it comes to uh, quoting. Uh, scriptures from the Bible so as to kind of like convince somebody of something if they're not there, right? If somebody who's more biblically inclined, more open to the Bible, and they want to discuss the Bible, then yeah, I discuss the Bible. I know a few verses in there, a few few uh, passages, a few scriptures in there, right? But when it comes to the philosophical sense, which a lot of people are focused on these days, I guess, uh, I don't really know. I, I really, I'm giving conspiracy theorists too much credit but i have like this critique about conspiracy theorists where they will drum up any conspiracy theory in on the planet they'll believe in any of these conspiracy theories but the minute you mention the bible or the minute you mention prophecies in the bible they just they get angry and they go they go deaf and their eyes glaze over and they just seem to lose com uh, uh interest in the conversation because you know, it seems like we're very secular these days, and I feel like postmodernism has a lot to do with it, and just the 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 human nature in general, because the Bible and Christianity in general provides a worldview that has a very staunch position on morality, and it seems to me that a lot of people have a very subjective view on morals, on morality, right? Which 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 uh. Which brings me to the notion that Ravi Zacharias made, paraphrase, he, he talks about how 
uh, atheist or uh, postmodernist or whoever object the idea of an objective morality and, and they state that morality is subjective and if morality is subjective and they, they make this argument that God doesn't exist, who is the moral arbiter of morality? Can't be men because these are the same people that say that there's evil, right? And we can go down a whole argument of if there's evil, who's doing the, who's quote unquote doing the evil? Is it man doing the evil? Is it humans doing the evil? Then humans are not a good arbiter of, of morality. I don't think that humans are a good arbiter of morality because you look around the world and see all, all the things that's going on that's done by man. And it's very interesting that there are some people that think that there's no, um, well, it makes sense that they think that there's a subjective morality, but then what morality do we, or what, 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 what common ground or what, where do we get our morality from? Where does our conscience come from? Right. Some people think it's an evolutionary feature. I think I believe that at one, at one point, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I'm not sure, but I believe that morality comes from the creator of the universe, God, right? Has to be. I mean, I don't know. Well, we can get into that in, in other episodes, but right. I'm going to start reading off of my notes so I stay on track, right? So I said the two main reasons I care about addressing the postmodernist worldview. First of all, I mean, it's an obstruction to your worldview. So it's, it's an obstruction to my worldview. It's a challenge to my worldview and your worldview. Not necessarily a, a hostile challenge, although it can be in some ways, but the two points I'm going to go back over. They make a dangerous claim that words have no meaning and they claim that there's no objective truth. There are other claims they make, which I might dance around in this podcast, but because I want to keep this podcast short, I'm going to deal with just one or two or three points, right? So just reading off my notes here again. Now, anyone who cares about assessing some sort of worldview that provides a meta narrative for truth like that of the Bible should know how to deal with postmodernists or at least know how they think about words, morality, meaning, and truth. So, yeah, I just went over that whole thing, right? So, oh, why did that happen? I just accidentally deleted my notes. Oh, my gosh. Why, why did it do that? Um, hold on one second. That's crazy. This is crazy. Why is it doing this? All right, so, all right, boom. Let me see. We back in business? Back in business? I think we're back in business. Okay, boom, got my notes. I'm going to need my notes for this. I, I, I just can't because this is complicated stuff. So I said, um, in this podcast, I'm going to be discussing the plight of people who seek truth, especially from the Bible and Christian theology, right? So the plight of the people who seek biblical truth are, are multifold. We addressed that already, right? And yes, since I'm becoming more rigorous in my theological and philosophical studies, we're going to see if we can lay it all out there. So, yeah, I basically go through the fact that I'm starting from a primitive position on this. So don't judge me. Don't judge me. Right. I'm starting from a primitive position on this. Right. And the first thing I thought about when I started reading this book, um, Beyond Opinion, was 
Season 2, Episode 29 of The Twilight Zone. Yes, of course, we're going to be talking about yet another episode of The Twilight Zone, right? I always bring up The Twilight Zone because The Twilight Zone, written by Rod Serling, created by Rod Serling, um, he, he was in... Oh, he was a he was in some very interesting times where he had to kind of like walk on uh to walk on eggshells when it comes to social commentary. Um I believe he had to make a few compromises. I'm not sure. You could read back or read up on the on, on the Twilight Zone or watch some of the interviews that he had about his show but he is known for social commentary and it's crazy he has this episode the obsolete man season two episode 29 the obsolete man where and you can as you can see i named this episode after that um that episode the obsolete man yeah i love the twilight zone so i'm gonna have a lot of twilight zone references and titles in my podcast so yeah um but he liked to address a lot of social commentary. Like he had to, he liked to address a lot of social issues. He was a true, um, I guess, social critic, if you will. And he brought up the issue of meaning and God and philosophy in the episode of the obsolete man, right? Which is we're gonna we're gonna make reference to that as we uh, let me see as we as we make our way through. And if I forget. Hopefully I don't forget, but yeah, I'm probably gonna yeah, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be able to address it. I have it in my notes, so I'm gonna be able to address it. I'll just make my way down and we'll get we'll get there. So if you want to um kind of like you can stop this podcast and I advise you to go listen to the Twilight Zone radio drama, um, The Obsolete Man, or you can go on if you have Netflix, you can go on Netflix. I believe it's on Netflix, season two, episode twenty nine, and watch the Obsolete Man because it will give you a really good idea of what I'm gonna be trying to get at, what I'm attempting to get at in this episode. And you're probably gonna start to open your eyes to a lot of the weird ambiguity of society of uh the society of uh today's society it's this weird nebulous ambiguity of philosophy that's going on when you especially when you go on twitter <laughs> not going to be specific so here we go postmodernism postmodern skeptics that insist that there is no truth right these postmodern worldviews are difficult to, to define because of its very nature. Okay, now we're going to get into the the quotes of Ravi Zacharias from his book, Beyond Opinion, right? He has this to say about the postmodern worldview. By its very nature, the postmodern worldview is difficult to define, and some would resist calling it such. It is an eclectic movement originating in aesthetics, architecture, and philosophy. A postmodern perspective is skeptical of any grounded theoretical perspectives. It rejects the certainties of modernism and approaches art, science, literature, and philosophy with a pessimistic, disillusioned outlook, questioning the possibility of clear meaning or truth. This worldview is about discontinuity, suspicion of motive, and an acceptance of logical incoherence. Ooh. 
I, I know y'all felt me on that one. I know y'all felt me on that one. I know y'all felt me on that one, right? We are living in a time where it is quite acceptable to be logically incoherent. And that is characterized, that is a characteristic of ideologies. You know, I don't know about you, but I've been in a few back and forths with people where they'll make a claim and I'll, I'll, I'll assert some sort of logical response and then they'll get they'll get mad. Right. And I think that angers from the confusion that postmodernism creates. And I don't think these people are intentionally postmodern modernists like they I don't think that there's a, a leader or a pusher of postmodernism necessarily. I just think that is a it's sort of like this way of life now where people think that we've moved into this age of, quote unquote, free thinking right people who call themselves free thinkers are very weird to me um when they can't define what free thinking is you know it's it's that very weird thing so which part did really 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 resonated with me a postmodern perspective is skeptical of any grounded theoretical perspectives so here we see sort of like the disrespect of uh, of science even though science has its limits we see the disrespect of science and scientific methods and anything that's grounded in theoretical perspectives. When you can when you can successfully ground yourself in some sort of logical perspective, debate or some sort of logical philosophy, something that ha has substance, it's not nebulous. Right. Um, these people. They'll get mad at you. They'll 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 uh, try to cancel you or they'll um, say that you're you're using hate speech or some other type of weird, um, weird jargon. Not saying that hate speech doesn't exist, but when you're when you're using the term hate speech and just slapping on slapping it on to anybody who disagrees with you, which is mentioned in this book, we have a problem. Right. It, it, the, we're going to really again, I keep bringing this up, the irony of postmodernism or these people that um, claim that there's no words have no meaning or anything like that is that they they try to make like an argument of some sort of some sort of autonomous um, philosophy or some type of autonomous perspective on morality and, and things of the kind. But then they try to control you and the way that you speak and what you say word the very words you use with terms like hate speech right very odd very odd right so um rabbi Zachari zacharias also noted a scholar right he noted a scholar i gotta check who the scholar is but i didn't do my due diligence on it it's all good it's all good it's okay it's okay it says the postmodernist critique of science, for example, consists of two interrelated arguments, epistemological, ep epistemological, okay, and tongue tied and ideological. Both are based on subjectivity. <laughs> First, because of the subjectivity of the human object, anthropology, according to epistemological argument, cannot be cannot be a science. In any event, the subjectivity of the human subject 
precludes the possibility of science discovering objective truth. Second, since objectivity is an illusion, science, according to the ideological argument, subverts oppressed groups, females, ethnics, the world, third world peoples, right? I got some, t I got a text that just threw me off, right? So we can see that, like I said before, right? Let's repeat the first line. The postmodernist critique of science, for example, consists of two interrelated arguments, epistemological and ideological. Both are based on subjectivity, right? This is the problem. We have this assertion that epistemology is subjective. And of course, I, I think ideology is definitely, definitely subjective, right? So we can see that I guess the crux or the main idea of postmodernism is subjectivity, right? And again, we're going to go down that thread in a second. But it's this subjectivity that attempts to distort not only your worldview when you actually get your worldview and you're anchored into your worldview, but your approach. If you even trying to approach some sort of intellectual development or some sort of uh you know, a path to a worldview, it's blind, it's, it's uh, distorted by subjectivity, right? It's like somebody jumping in your way and saying, hey, hey, look, you're, you're reading, you're doing all these books, you're doing all this book work. What does books even mean? What do these words even mean, man? Why do you need to look at this, right? You know, it's just, just let's just chill out. Like there's, there's no meaning to anything. And that's it. Right. That's how I look at postmodernism. And I can't I can't dig on that at all. I mean, I do. I think there is a time and a place to, to kind of take that stance where you maybe you might be resting your brain or something like that. <laughs> We're just chilling out. Like I like listening to a lot of um, Alan Watts and um, his lectures are very um, looking back on it now from this perspective. It's very. Um, he calls himself a spiritual entertainer. Or philosophical entertainers. There's a lot of philosophical entertainers out there. But that's precisely what it is. It's, it's to entertain you. It's it's nice to kind of like titillate, titillate your brain with um, alliterations and, and, and persuasive speech and oratory. Again, the irony in that of these postmodernists, the irony in that you'll see in a second. But it's it's nice, you know, something to listen to when you're about to fall asleep and make you make you feel like everything is all right. Sounds good. Right. For lack of a better term. So we're going to move on. These skeptics present a series of arguments that attempt to blind you or discourage your quest for truth through a series of questions. Right. So that's what I just basically addressed. But then there's a series of questions that that postmodernists use to 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 uh, to to install doubt. Right. These these questions, they sound good, but they're there to trip you up and install doubt. Right. So here are the three questions. And I got these three questions from Beyond Opinion. Basically, all these quotes and all these ideas is from Beyond Opinion by Ravi Zacharias. You should get that book. It's a good book. I think it's like three dollars in the iBook store. Right. So going back to Beyond Opinion, Ravi points out three points or three questions, theoretical questions about textual authority historical questions about textual authority, existential questions about textual authority. So these three points are going to be based in the 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 uh, 
based in the assertion that postmodernists like to trip you up with theoretical questions that 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 screw with your idea of textual authority or the idea of textual authority meaning of words or uh, interpretation and, and and things of that nature we're going to go through a few of them but in this episode we're just going to focus on theoretical questions about textual authority right i'll probably address i'm going to have to now it's probably going to have to be a series um historical questions about textual authority and existential questions about textual authority very interesting stuff i like that word existential right because i felt like i had an existential crisis like maybe nine months ago but um yeah we're going to deal with number one theoretical questions about uh about textual authority so here we go let's go back to the notes the question i want to focus on in this podcast is theoretical questions about authority as beyond opinion discusses yeah just repeated that so we're going to start off with this quote right to kind of like whet our appetite to, to get sort of like a working definition of what we're dealing with here to create semantics to create meaning right quote Zachary, Zach, rabbi zacharias says in fact the idea there is no ultimate meaning in any text has become extremely powerful in a postmodern context and it has enormous implications for any communication about the gospel so he's using um he's talking about christian apologetics and he the main idea of this book or one of the main ideas in this book is that in order to defend your faith as a christian you have to be able to to, to defend the bible and, and how you defend the bible is dealing with these questions about textual authority the one that we're dealing with right now is theoretical questions about textual authority so that's why he mentions the gospel there and that's pretty much the same line of reasoning that i'm going to be taking when it comes to the bible right um because again this is the the, the worldview that arises out of the bible whether it's through uh judaism or, or christianity it, it's 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 you need to be able to defend it right and you're not necessarily going to defend it or the idea that i'm getting from here is that you're not necessarily going to be defending it at the level of the contents of the bible but um more of like a philosophical or the the the, the context surrounding the bible first first you're going to deal with it it's similar to how um a lot of uh christian evangelists have this flaw of stepping to people and jehovah witnesses too they step to people and just automatically start quoting bible verses that's not going to work because how do you know if you're talking to an atheist or not how do you know if you're talking to an agnostic or not how do you know if you're talking to a a, a person that possesses a postmodern worldview or not how do you know that you have to be able to deal with them on their level first and then gradually work your way up to the content of the bible and i think that this is why a lot of people one of the reasons why a lot of people are steered away from the bible right because people just start slamming the contents at them without actually dealing with the attacks on the bible because i really feel like the bible is the bet it is the best-selling book book of all time excuse me best-selling book of all time but it's also i think it's the also the most attacked book at the same time and just think about the name jesus christ <laughs> man you say that name people get so angry people get so angry when you when 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 they when you mention jesus christ or or god or 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 
the um or the God of Israel, when you start mentioning these names, Yahushua, Yeshua, or Yahshua, however you want to pronounce it, right? Pronounce the, the the Messiah's name, the Savior's name, right? People get really angry and they just start attacking it with a bunch of ad hominem attacks or a bunch of attacks that has have no basis in logic. And the funny thing is they claim that the Bible itself has no basis in logic, but we have a lot of we'll deal that's a historical that's a historical, I guess, question we can deal with later on in another series. The 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 facts surrounding Jesus of Nazareth Nazareth. So boom. So within theoretical questions of textual authority, we have a few breakdowns, right? Let me see if I can skim through them real quick in my notes. Should have wrote this down straight up. Suspicion of any claim to authority. Um, authority is power play. And authority and the question of interpretation. That's my favorite part. That's my favorite part right there. Mind you, again, this is a reminder that this is all dealing with the question of truth or the non-question of truth. Because truth exists whether you like it or not. There's, there's truths that exist, or there's a truth that exists. One of the truths that exists is gravity exists. Yeah, we can't see gravity, hear gravity, what have you, but we can observe gravity, right? Sooner or later, we're going to be questioning gravity and if it exists. <laughs> That's why I named my last uh, podcast the, the, the first episode of the second season. This is the second season, by the way, The Upside Down. This whole season should be named the Upside Down because that's what we're dealing with here. So let's go. Suspicion of any claim to authority. Ravi says the postmodern questioner is likely to operate from a base of suspicion and skepticism when presented with the text, such as the Bible, which makes clear claim to author authoritative truth. This is not because the individual is particularly hostile toward Christian, the, the Christian or the church, but rather because he or she has developed within a cultural context that suspects authority and rejects meta narrative, an overarching or transcendent view of the world. Right. Everybody's looking for a meta narrative. I feel like we're all looking for a meta narrative, but the ironic thing happens we're not ironic, but the opposite, the opposite happens when a postmodernist come along, right, and tell you, <laughs> tell you certain things. So he goes on to say, again, a meta narrative is a large scale theory that seeks to make sense of the world, such as the onward and upward progress of the human race throughout history. The confidence that everything is explicable by science or the possibility of absolute freedom. Leotard, I guess it's some philosopher. I need to get I need to get with I need to get with it because I don't know who this guy is. Leotard argues that postmoderns have ceased to believe that narratives of this kind are useful for understanding reality. Instead, humans have become alert to the difference in diversity, come alert to to difference and diversity, so that postmodernity is characterized by a plethora of micronarratives. Let's go. Let's 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 go over that again. Instead, humans have become alert to difference and diversity so that postmodernity is characterized by a plethora of micro narratives so this is this flies right in the face that a uh, 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 a meta narrative exists macro narrative right and that's what 
that's what arises out of the Bible, a, a meta-narrative, right? A narrative of all narratives, right? A truth that can be applied across a, a, a large scale of, of the human race, right? So let's see what I have in my notes right here, right? And then you get these, yeah, again, the micro-narratives. You know what the micro-narratives are. You, you got, you just look at social media, right? You have many micro-narratives. And when you have skepticism of science, right, you, you, you get to a point where the facts, if the facts don't fit the narrative, they're discarded. They're, 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 they're labeled, I've heard this one before, don't, don't, don't laugh. They labeled hate facts, or some people call it, I think people call it a alternative facts or hate speech is, is a common one. But people call it hate facts. Like what, what, what the heck is a hate fact, fact, right? That's if it doesn't fit the narrative that the, I guess, the, the person uh, is, is, is asserting in, in their 280 letter tweet or their thread. Right. And I think this is why this there's never going to be a there's never going to be a um, a, ba uh, a, 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 a I guess a treaty in the battle between the identities on social media. Right. Because nobody, no one group of people. Except for a select few that I could think of possesses a, a meta narrative that they all abide by like in psychology we have the term superordinate goal which is one goal that the group works um to achieve and it's it's a unifying goal it's this whole it's this goal that the whole group has a vested interest in in achieving in meeting right and when you lack that in such a large group of people on social media it gets ugly. It gets real ugly, right? You get people canceled, doxxed, etc., etc., right? So what do we let's go back to the notes. Let's stay on track. I think I'm making good time. But what we ended up with when answering this these questions or dealing with this argument is hypocrisy on the part of the postmodernist or the person who asserts that words have no meaning because they are in fact using words to assert that other words have no meaning. The irony. Oh, wrote that down right so ravi closes out this argument with this statement the fundamental problem with this challenge to the bible this suspicion of authority and rejection of meta narrative is that it is essentially inconsistent that's the inconsistency with the whole using words to say that words don't exist right that is we soon discover the probing this denial of overarching stories that an exception is made for the overarching idea that there are no overarching ideas. Postmodern skeptics critique all worldviews except for their own. Let's reread that. The fundamental problem of this challenge to the Bible, this suspicion of authority and rejection of meta narrative, is that it is essentially inconsistent. That is, we soon discover. When probing this denial of overarching stories that an exception is made for the overarching idea that there are no overarching ideas. 
postmodern skeptics critique all worldviews except for their own. The hypocrisy. That is the hypo- that's the hypocrisy right there. Postmodernist using language, using words to tell you that words don't have any meaning. Right. And it's very interesting. Very, 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 very interesting. And now we're going to go into the next point of theoretical questions to about textual authority, which is authority as power play. Right. So, you, you know, you have people who speak with authority, right? Like we have preachers, governors, presidents, prime ministers, etc., cetera, et cetera, that speak with authority. Right. This is what the postmodernist basically has to say about about them. Right. And I'm going to read another passage. But what does what does my note say? People who speak powerfully and persuasively, like we see a lot of in academia and in churches, are accused of imposing some made up truth onto others. Yes, especially in academia. Academia is under attack right now. If it still even exists. I don't know if this college is still open right now. But uh, yeah, good riddance to that. It's crazy. And I and again, I started seeing this this weirdo perspective come into play when again my critical reading and writing teacher said, "Oh, uh, well, I guess one can kind of like argue that there is no truth. Like when I started hearing that, I knew it was downhill from there. But I just didn't know why it was downhill subconsciously or on a on a conscience level, meaning conscience with knowledge um, or intuitively. I knew that something was wrong about that statement. There is there is a truth. There has to be a truth. Right. But let's go to the passage from Beyond Opinion. Ravi has this to say. After hearing a powerful preacher speaking to several hundred people in a packed Oxford church, a student demanded to speak privately with him. In the preacher's study, the young man tore into his host, shouting and swearing in anger at what he had heard. The main objection that the student raised was the fact that anyone who dare speak powerfully and persuasively about an idea. Hmm. As a postmodern, he saw this kind of speaking as a malevolent force, an imposition of truth claim on another person, an assault on the individual's autonomy, and something dangerous that ought to be resisted. <laughs> Isn't that ironic? This guy is assaulting, verbally assaulting this poor preacher in his study, and he has the irony to say that, hey, you're, imp- you're imposing on other people's autonomy. Like, who are you to say that? Right. But we're going to go on. Right. Passage says this. The classic postmodern challenge is often this classic postmodern challenge is often specifically directed at the Bible. The Bible is seen as a text that is used to take power over people's lives. Its authority is seen as a power play exerted over the weak. The French thinker Michel Foucault. Hopefully I said that right. Any French people, any French people spoke of an essential interplay between knowledge and power, echoing Nietzsche's phrase, will to power. Foucault called any pursuit of truth a will to knowledge that arbitrarily establishes its own truth. This truth is then imposed on others, thereby handing over power to the speaker or writer. (laughs) So the human quest for knowledge is written off as a pursuit of power. And this power for Foucault and other postmoderns is embodied and expressed in institutionalized languages. What? 
what is an institutionalized language? Is it the Bible? Is it church? Huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably the Bible, the church, the school, the university, if you will. Very interesting stuff. Like, it's just so ironic, right? And we're going to get to the irony in a second. So let's, uh, let's venture back into the passage because this is all it needs to say, really. This is all I really need to do, just kind of like read the whole freaking book on the podcast, right? <laughs> of course, the problem with this idea is that it falls into the same trap as many other postmodern challenges. Yes, and pay attention to this, this last passage, because it's funny. I, I laughed when I, when I read this. It lacks self-awareness and self-consistency. Let's, let's reread that first line. Of course, the problem with this idea is that it falls into the same trap as many other postmodern challenges. It lacks self-awareness and self consistency just a very fancy way of saying that these people are hypocrites right they can't even see they like they're like fish in water like they don't realize the irony and everything that they're saying which is funny but the, i think the thing with postmodernism is that it doesn't again it lacks logical co um coherence it doesn't have to make sense it's um i think it's a ironic again it's a power play in of itself they don't care that they're not making any sense. They're not playing. They're not even playing that game. They're not playing that game. Just to let you know, they're not playing that game, right? Here we go. Back into the passage. After all, if Foucault really believed that language and the quest for knowledge through words can be reduced to a power play in the end, how could he communicate such ideas without using words and attempting to persuade us as well? <laughs> you see, this goes back to the fact that they're not they're not serious like they're not rational they're not using logic to to they're not using logic at all you know they it's just they they see something i guess they just don't like it and i think it's human nature it's one of the the, the, the little squirrely ways that human nature tries to get around arriving at any worldview that presents a sound grounded logical perspective People hate that. People hate that. Right? So we continue on. Was he not simply exerting his authority and his considerable power over us? Didn't he become as power hungry as his opponents? Shouldn't Foucault critique, shouldn't Foucault's critique of Christian thought and the Bible be applied to his own ideas as well? <laughs> when all is said and done, if he really believed his own philosophy, why didn't he remain silent? Hmm. Right? That's just drop the mic on that one right there. Why didn't he remain silent? Pick the mic back up. Why didn't he remain silent? Right? If he really believes what he's what, what he's saying. Again, I think that, and especially in this 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 um era that we're living in, a lot of the craziness that you see, they're just battles for power. That's all it is. It's just people want power. I mean, a lot of it is definitely rooted in um cause and effect karma um a lot of it i think is judgments from god himself right and we can get into that later on as well if you don't believe that 2020 2020 the current year that we're in is not the year of judgment then i don't know it's just a lot of weird stuff going on that can be explained if you're a conspiracy theorist i'm pretty sure you're open-minded to this through um the prophecies in the bible Right. Read Jeremiah 51, for instance. Right. Read, read Jeremiah 51. That's a great place to start when you want to start talking about uh, 
biblical prophecy, if you will. Um, I mean, that's where that's kind of like where I really got, you know, <laughs> Ooh, Jeremiah 51 is, is one of those books that one of those chapters in the Bible that really no matter how many times I read it, I just I shake, <laughs> I get goosebumps. So now we're moving on to the next aspect or component of theoretical questions about textual authority. Right. And this one is called authority and the question of interpretation. So this one right here, I'm about to read the notes. This is the last point I'm going to go through. And it might even be the one that peeves me the most. Yes. The question of interpretation. Right. We can talk about interpretation all day long in terms of the signifier and the signified. But we have to use discretion in how far we go with those games. So. Look, I don't mind talking about semantics and people who use the word semantics think that they're being intellectual or philosophical in some way, shape or form. But I think their being is sort of like facetious and they sort of like try to like circumvent any real discussion that gets to any real facts. And you'll notice that when they use the word semantics soon after and you establish the semantics and you go through um, some type of. Uh, logically coherent argument and you back them up against the wall if you will for lack of a better term they get mad they'll probably say you're using hate speech or some other nonsense right but at some point we have to get to some sort of common ground or so we just what are we doing floating five feet off the ground not anchored in any way shape or form where are we getting our morals from where, where are we how do we see the world We've seen this world as this nebulous thing. And I think a lot of people, I think that's why I guess the Buddhist, um, the Buddhist uh, philosophy appeals to a lot of people because it's atheistic by, um, I guess, by nature. Right. There's no God hover, supposedly not no God hovering over us. Supposedly we are God split into billions and billions of different species and and people spread off spread across the universe the planet if you will and but the thing that a lot of people seem to skate over with buddhism is the four noble truths and the noble eightfold path like people conveniently skip over all of that conveniently um circumvent right speech right thought right action i guess right livelihood right because i think again it goes back to the argument that humans are carnal by nature they don't want to follow any uh any type of objective morality placed down anywhere even in in, in the in the, the 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 buddhist scriptures if you will and it's ironic and this is why i've kind of like adopted the name bad buddhism because i studied buddhism for a while and then it just it got me through some it got me through some 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 really rough times as as far as you know being able to balance my my mental health my mental hygiene you know with the meditation with right speech like right speech really helped me in the sense that um affirmations and mantras and stuff things of that nature which you could also find in in, in the bible and uh matt and somewhere in matthew where jesus says um the light of your body is your is your eye or something like that right it talks about the light of your body or the eye is the light of the body you know basically what you put your attention on is what manifests or uh what manifests within self or um he said i'm just paraphrasing that if the eye is dirty you know your, your light is dimmed or something like that right 
sorry for uh sorry for getting it wrong i'm just uh paraphrasing real quick um i did a podcast episode on that too i think it was two episodes ago so you could check that out sorry but that's basically what buddhism has done but for me but the reason why i use the name bad buddhism is because i do bad i do buddhism really badly like i believe in a god um i i i read the bible um i follow uh biblical scriptures i live i i try my best my sinful self to live by the the tenets of the bible right but buddhism specifically bad buddhism is sort of like a sort of like a uh uh like kind of like paying homage to my journey because it was a it's a crazy journey still is right it's a it's an acknowledgement of my philosophical development right and bad buddhism is kind of like that exit from i guess the philosophy of buddhism which i guess you can say that a lot of the philosophy in buddhism the one i just explained about um the the light of your eye right you know you could kind of intertwine the two but then there's a lot of places where buddhism and and the worldview found within the bible whether it's judaism or christianity just doesn't it just doesn't mix right and for the reason is um the 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 four the four uh let me see because ravi zacharias talks about this too uh the four the four questions that every worldview has to answer and deal with origin meaning morality and destiny the problem with buddhism is that it doesn't really address the issue of meaning right or at least i don't i don't think so right so let's move on right i said let's go to page 40 right authority and the question of interpretation so let's read the passage let's go through some quotes because i didn't write much on this right the postmodern challenges to uh, to the authority of a text culminate in the ultimate relativist statement and yeah this is the ultimate relative uh, relativist statement and this is the thing that peeves me the most here it is isn't it all a matter of interpretation no no i you know let me not get ahead of myself <laughs> isn't it all a matter of interpretation this statement sounds like a question but in fact when we examine it carefully it is a truth claim it is a claim that there is no one truth no one clear message and this is the issue that i had with my english professor like I don't know that just didn't sit well with me so let's continue thus even when we come to a so-called revealed or inspired text like the bible the claim is that there are many valid interpretations of a given text hence absolute truth eludes us again mm. yeah that's the argument right so how many times have you heard someone tell you or someone say isn't it all a matter of interpretation yeah we can interpret many things in many different ways, but but do we ever want to get to some sort of common ground, right? I think that when people ask that question, they're not being genuine about the question, right? Because soon after when you start trying to apply some, again, this is a feature of postmodernism, when you try to apply some, some sort of logical coherence, it, it, the, the conversation ends up breaking down because these type of people don't really even they how are you even going to talk to a person like this if they don't even believe that words have meaning 
right? They have no, no, no position of morality. They don't believe that there's a truth in the first place. So you're wasting your time talking to them, right? Here we go. Let's continue into the passage. So thus, even when we come to a so-called revealed or inspired text like the Bible, the claim is that there are many valid interpretations of a given text. Hence, absolute truth eludes us again. The postmodern challenges challenge I have heard on numerous occasions goes something like this. You don't mean to say that you take the Bible literally, do you? I love to answer with the words of a great Christian who was asked this question and reportedly replied. Ooh, this is good. I laughed at this one too. This one is funny because it seems like a lot of common sense goes out the window when it comes to these um, postmodernists, like obviously, but there's some intelligent people that really get dumb. I don't like calling nobody dumb, but it's the, it's the truth. Here's, here's the quote, right? The Bible says that Herod is a fox, but we don't think that he, that means he had pointy ears and a bushy tail. It also mentions that Jesus is a door, which does not mean that he is flat, wooden, and swings on hinges. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's funny. I'm such a nerd, but yeah, that was fun. Like it's funny. Like I love little thing, little little jokes like that. Let's read it again. The Bible says that Herod is a fox. But we don't think that means he had pointy ears and a bushy tail. It also mentions that Jesus is a door, which does not mean that he is flat, wooden and swings on hinges. <laughs> so here we have. Yeah, it's all a matter of interpretation. Right. But we also deal with the nuance of the fact that the Bible speaks in what they call parables or metaphors or uses analogies and things of that nature. Right. So, again, you know, we come to the, the, the conclusion that postmodernists, you know, they try to do these little mental gymnastics, except. Except that it's not really even mental gymnastics. Right. Excuse me for a second. Got to drink some water. So we move on to the 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 text again, right? Get back into the text again. This question of interpretation is raised by the postmodern in order to cast doubt on the possibility that real meaning is possible at all. And yes, that is a very important point that I made in the beginning of this podcast. I think I think the idea is to cast doubt, right? And there's many times where, and I guess this is where your faith, your faith being tested comes in, you know, you, you, you know, you're, you're studying, you're, you're studying your Bible and, and then, you know, you go on social media and somebody, you, you being the social media person that you are, you're clicking like on all these Christian memes and all these different type of things. And then you see one asshole in the comment, an atheist or an agnostic that comes out and say some, something, some type of logical fallacy, maybe it's a straw man or some false equivalence. And it, it gets you to doubt your faith, you know, you're just like, ah, you get that, you get that one millisecond of doubt, that one millisecond of doubt because of the, the, the postmodernist, uh, nebulous type of, uh, of approach, right? And not all atheists are postmodernists. Some are just, some are brilliant philosophers and, 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 and agnostics as well. Like Neil deGrasse Tyson, like he 
said that he, he takes a position of agnosticism, you know, um, very intelligent. But he's again, I don't I've never seen him kind of like bash religion, the Bible, any of that stuff. Like he more so from my from what I've seen on him, um, he just kind of like talks around it. Right. So. Let's go back to the text again. This question of interpretation is raised by the postmodern in order to cast doubt on the possibility that real meaning is possible at all. Right. And here's another important point for anybody that's Christian listening to this podcast, anybody that's a believer listening to this podcast, because I think this is this kind of like wraps up the whole podcast and wraps up my whole message as to why I care about postmodernist arguments that can kind of trip you up. Right. So let's let's start from let's start from the the let's start from the next the other page, right? So the idea of the non-possibility of clear meaning in a text was most powerfully argued by the postmodern thinker Jacques Derrida. Following Nietzsche, Derrida asserted that if God does not exist, then there is no foundation for language and words. So there's no foundation for language and words. Are not able to signify or present any there's no foundation for language and words are not able to signify or present any given reality i think that's a typo or i'm getting tired and i can't read anymore but here we go <clears throat> let's continue he attacked the view that human statements are representations of the world as it actually is and denied that language could have fixed meaning connected to a fixed reality or that it has the capacity to convey definitive truth oh yeah this reminded me of a point that i wanted to make the signified and the signifier right if you read in um there's this book called um i think it's called literary i think it's called literary theory and anthology right and in one of those we deal with i believe we deal with um i think it's jacques lacan i think um i think i think we deal with um, Jacques Lacan deals with the signifier and the signified basically and what I'm understanding it as is okay you see a tree right and you you if you're seeing a tree as a baby and your parents tell you hey yeah that is called a tree that's a tree right but I guess Dorita is arguing that yeah that word tree doesn't mean anything because there's other words for it right and it's not a fixed reality you can't use a fixed word for um uh, a reality that's not fixed if i'm understanding connected to a, a fixed reality right so i guess that's the argument that you can't do that i don't know but anyway let's continue um oh and also this is a problem in uh, eastern mysticism as well um where you have the guru right i read somewhere where i forgot who said it so forgive me but basically uh there's this paraphrase or this this quote that goes when a guru points to the moon or point points to the, di the direction of um enlightenment people uh start sucking his finger or something like that so it's kind of like people are attached to the sign the, the sign leading towards the way leading towards the way it's kind of like you have like an exit sign that's pointing to the exit the actual exit and people rather than people going towards the exit they embrace the exit sign or the sign post if you will right and they get caught up in that so um i guess that's kind of like my, my way of kind of like 
I guess, articulating the reader's position on the signifier and the signified and how uh, words can't or can't can or can't describe a fixed reality. Right. But um, he's probably making a different argument. So here we go with the last excerpt. Right. If language has meaning, it causes people to search for the transcendental signified some ultimate word or existence such as God, truth, reality. The reader argued that such ultimate things do not exist. Yet, when turned on its head, what his argument reveals is that in order for postmodernists to reject God, they have to undermine language itself, right? Exactly. So, I think that's kind of like, that's the issue, right? And let's read another passage. I got some more stuff highlighted here. Yeah, this is at the end of the point of authority and the question of interpretation i think this is some interesting stuff at a popular level this is often expressed in a simple phrase like it's all just a matter of interpretation this is a clever challenge to the bible and a serious objection to the possibility the very possibility of words as carriers of meaning however let us remember that this is only a problem if god does not exist uh-huh but surely if this were the case we would not be able to assert his non-existence using words but surely if this were the case, we would not be able to able to assert his non-existence using words. Yeah. All right. Once again, we have a postmodern challenge to the Bible that is not rigorous enough to stand up to its own scrutiny. This idea falls at the first hurdle since it is unable to communicate to be communicated or argued without the use of words. So, again, it's this hypocrisy of postmodernism. They use words to try to tell you that. Words don't, ex uh, God doesn't exist. And how they try to do that is undermine language itself, but they're using language. So they're like on a hamster wheel, just running and running and running. Right? How can Dorita tell us that a transcendental, transcendental signified does not exist and the words only have the meaning, the words, and that words only have the meaning a particular reader or culture context gives them? Since he uses used words to tell us this and expected us to understand them no matter our culture <laughs> hmm how christians pra practice hermeneutics with real integrity is a question for a different book okay so what does hermeneutics mean see i'm learning different words here and i want to know what hermeneutics mean Let's see. So you're going to learn it too. Hermeneutics, the branch of knowledge that deals with interpretation, especially of the Bible or literary text. See, that is it's another deep topic, right? So. Hmm. So he ends the chapter by saying how we interpret the Bible and uphold the word of truth in our generation is a challenge for any serious student of the word of God. But before we get there, we must recognize these postmodern challenges to the theoretical possibility of meaning in any context and deal with them if we are to give a reason for the hope within to a postmodern skeptic. Ooh, that's that's exactly exactly what I wanted to cover here. You know, this is exactly what I want to cover, because when you are. And I say this for the third time in this podcast, when you are trying to find a meta narrative a worldview that deals with the questions of origin meaning morality and destiny right and when and when you want to go through the the study of uh of of crucial topics that help you 
to get there, such as theology, epistemology, metaphysics, ethics, and anthropology, you want to get there, it's all dealt, you have to, you have to circumvent the, the, the postmodernist challenge. Of course, you can just ignore them, the postmodernists as well, but if you are going into the field of, of apologetics and, and, and evangelism and stuff like that, or even if you just you know, engaging in intellectual debate as a, as recreation, it's important that you have these arguments to, to, to back up your faith. Not only just to back up your faith on a debate stage or, you know, maybe in your living room while you're sipping some wine um, and, and with, with some friends and family and stuff like that, but, you know, as sort of like the guard against your faith, because believe it or not, your faith is going to be under attack. It is going to be under attack. And it's important to 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 prepare the conscious mind with the knowledge of these logical fallacies that the postmodernists wield against and 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 use against um you know your 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 faith right you got to be you got to be armed with the with the knowledge of these fallacies and being armed with the knowledge of these fallacies help you to circumvent the fuckery that they bring right excuse my language so have my notes ah this is a yeah this is this is where we get to the twilight zone boom right so i'm just gonna i guess go through this last point here and we're gonna close up here right i said they deny that words have meaning and if words don't have meaning any written documents including the bible are obsolete and therefore god doesn't exist we went over that right Ah, I bring up this point. We see this in the Twilight Zone episode, The Obsolete Man, where Mr. Wordsworth, a librarian, was convicted and deemed obsolete by the state authority and sentenced to death because of his so-called obsolescence. Right. Does this have some Fahrenheit uh, 451 vibes some some George Orwell vibes? Watch the episode. Season two, episode 29. Watch the episode and you'll see what I'm talking about. It's very spooky. Or you can listen to the radio, the, the Twilight Zone radio drama on um, YouTube. Very interesting stuff, right? So basically, um, I guess in the beginning scene, I'm not trying to spoil it too much for you. I guess Mr. Wordsworth, the librarian, is in some sort of holding cell or waiting room with other um, um, charged obsoletes, right? And then when it's his time to go and speak to the judge or whoever um the so-called or the self-imposed arbiter uh, <laughs> um he you know they go through a little dialogue and mr wordsworth says that um he's a librarian and they get uh th they're like clutching their pearls like what a librarian or what you're you're a, a librarian that deals with books and paraphrasing that deals with books and books that deals with words, Mr. Wordsworth. <laughs> it's such a creepy but funny episode. I advise you to check it out. And here is another point that I kind of I think about it a lot. And it's what ultimately maybe say, yeah, let me check out theology and, and let me deal with these questions of 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 worldview, my worldview of the 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 worldview that that arises out of the bible whether it's christianity or judaism or what have you right 
it's the sense of i guess i guess morality right because in this twilight zone episode this so-called authority or judge whoever this is made the claim that the state has established that there is no god right and mr wordsworth now is taken aback and says how do you know that like you can't erase god with an edict <laughs> and that brings me to the i guess the conclusion that people that people are like these these self-appointed arbiters of morality and of truth you know and i guess that's one of the things that again led me to this worldview where i'm like okay yeah i'm gonna really deal with this on a very philosophical level and we're gonna break this down and we're gonna talk about it at length throughout this season of the podcast and the seasons to come i guess the next season uh well the next episode i deal with historical questions about textual authority which is very interesting but yeah again to to bring it back to my main point again is uh this is very i guess this is very um no, it's very important to deal with when you're when you're when you're discussing things like morality. When you're discussing, you know, authority, who is the moral arbiter? Where do we get get our morals from? Can't couldn't have got, gotten it from men. And there's a lot of different arguments that come up about morality and, and how morality is subjective. We we talked about this before, how morality is subjective and yada yada yada. But yeah, that's pretty much that. That's pretty much that. that. That's all I have for you today. Like that was a, it's a long ass episode, but um, I thought it was gonna run longer than that. But we made good time, and that's the perks of using notes. Um, but I didn't plug anything. I didn't plug anything. Go read my blog. I'm starting to write a little bit more candidly on my blog, badbuddhism.com. Um, you can read some of my more, um, I guess, polished work. On medium.com slash at Anthony, no, at bad Buddhism, excuse me, medium.com slash at bad Buddhism. You can find me on Instagram at Anthony Boyd with a zero on Facebook at Anthony Boyd, Boyd with a zero. Right. And my uh, my personal play account. Right. I I said I was going to do away with the multiple Instagram accounts, but I'm back on back on my bullshit on that instagram account at bad buddhism it's just mainly memes and things to get you upset you know when i post little funny things to get you upset you know don't take it too seriously though don't take it too seriously don't get your panties in a bunch you know i had a lot of people unfollow me unfortunately because they take the, they <laughs> they take themselves too seriously I'm not gonna lie like if i was them i'd be mad at me too but um Make sure you go to my website and make sure you sign up for my email list. I'm really bad at sending emails to my email list. But, um, oh, you can also join my health and fitness email list, Substack. It's free for now. I'm trying to get 100 people to sign up before I start charging people. But I got about, like, I guess, maybe 60, 66 more people to sign up till I reach that limit. I'm The whole idea is I'm trying to provide free information for people that want health and fitness advice and it's really good information it's free it's the basics it helps you to establish your um 
establish just regular base health and improve your health markers by losing weight and all of that stuff. It's as simple as losing 5% of your body weight. But let me stop rambling. You can sign up for that list um, at thestrengthbook.substack.com. Thestrengthbook.substack.com. Sign up for that. It's free. And I'm doing a separate podcast on that too. It's a, it's a health and fitness podcast. Um, the Strength Book Podcast. Only available on my uh, the Strength Book uh, email list, newsletter, publication, whatever you want to call it. So, yeah, I've spoken enough. And, um, yeah, I'm going to talk to you in the next episode. Make sure y'all send me some ideas. Y'all can send voice notes in. Um, or if you just don't, you don't want to participate, that's cool, whatever. Um, you can send emails. Um, I get... I don't, I mean, you can talk to me. You can send emails to badbuddhism at gmail.com. I mean, as far as, I know I told you guys to send ideas and stuff like that, but I think I pretty much planned out what we're going to be talking about this season. I guess I'll take little breaks in between. But, um, yeah, we're, the series that we're dealing with right now within this season is we're dealing with these uh, arguments that these postmodern postmodernists uh, present us with those who want or are are looking for a worldview or or trying to hold on to our worldview and we must be armed with a little bit of intellect right those of us who are christians those of us who are religious those of us who are of the bible that is so yeah um that's pretty much that i'm going to be quiet now and i'll talk to you guys next time peace <laughs>